It's good to be with you. How are you doing this morning? Doing good? Good. It's good to be with you here. Um, I get a chance every so often to uh, just um, come and be a part of uh, being with you guys and being a part of um, the ministry here. And um, man, just really excited about the opportunity even this morning uh, to be uh, with you. Um, it's always fun to to see the work that your dad is doing and uh, had the opportunity several times to, to be a part of... Um, just being involved in ministry with him, and uh, it's always fun to hear of the stories and the things that God is doing up here in the Grand Rapids area, so I'm excited to be here with you uh, this morning as well. Um, my name is Andy Abramson, and uh, like you know, and uh, probably my claim to fame for you guys is I'm Ken's son, um, but the other thing that I do is I'm a director of a ministry called Verge Ministries, and uh, Verge Ministries, our heart is... Um, to reach college-age young adults, and uh, really it's a missing age group uh, as far as that's being reached out into the churches, and uh, and so our heart is is that we have a team of people that come alongside of different sized churches. We have churches that are big, you know, 900, 1,000 people that we're working with. We have churches that are 50 and 60 people that we're working with and figuring out how to love that age group and, and to minister and to disciple them, to raise them up. In fact, right now we're working with um, 15 different ministries and six different states, um, and, and so that's a huge privilege for us, for our team to be a part of. In fact, since the last time I was here, I was here, I was checking the calendar this morning, I was here in April uh, of last year. Since then, um, we've added a couple new staff members to our team. Um, we've added ministries, a second one in St. Cloud, um, and another one in New York City, and then Boise, Idaho, and then we're in conversation right now with a couple of, a second one in Portland and Wilmer and uh, some other places like that. So we're really excited and appreciate uh, the opportunities I've been here to share. I'd love for you to continue to pray for our ministries. Um, if you're not on our email list, we'd love to get you on our email list as well, which would be awesome. Um, and so we're going to just take a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Jonah uh, today. And so it might take you a few seconds to get there. It's, a, it's in the Old Testament. Um, it's a smaller book. Um, and so you can begin to head in that direction. Um, it would be awesome. As we do that, um, I was just thinking a little bit about this. You've been on this topic of hope um, over the last uh, several weeks doing different characters. And so we're going to be looking at really this, some of the, the ways that we can see hope through this character in uh, the book of Jonah. Um, as as we uh, thought about just really hope and how central it is even to this season, uh, thinking about that's you know the thing that we're celebrating here next week is the hope in which God intersected back into the world and uh, became a part of what we were doing in order to give us that hope through what Jesus Christ did on the cross uh, for you and for me. In fact, we were in a, a community group. We, Our church and our ministry has some various community groups that meet throughout the week, and we we're talking about this idea of hope uh, a few weeks ago. In fact, there's a young gal who that day had just a couple, that day or the day before ended up losing her job, and we we're talking about just kind of this hope of, you know, beyond the circumstances of life. And I love one of the pastors that I respect. He's from the Atlanta area. He talks about this idea of hope as it being an anchor for our soul. You know, this hope is something in the midst of turmoil of life. And you haven't, if you haven't experienced it, you will. 
because um, because life is that way that we need that anchor in our soul of of leaning into the hope that God has called us um, and, and has given us through his son Jesus Christ I think sometimes though as I was thinking about the issue that we run into I think in what the story of Jonah is going to show us is that hope is even for broken people. And I think sometimes what we can see is that we can think that there are certain things in my past or, you know, decisions that I've made that has disqualified me from being used by God. And what this story of Jonah is going to show us is that we serve a God of hope. In fact, one of the, one of the things that you're going to see, how many of you grew up in church? Okay, so if you grew up in church, I mean, this is probably like what one of the top five children's church stories of all time, right? I mean, there's not much better than being swallowed by a fish and being spit up, right? Yeah, I mean, there's David and Goliath and swallowed by a fish and a few other, you know, amazing stories like that. But here's one of the things that I've learned throughout the course of studying this passage over the last several years is really um, when I was taught. In Sunday school, my focus a lot of times was Jonah and the fish, but as we look at the text this morning, what we're going to see is the story of Jonah is more about God and about a God that we serve and, and the hope that we can rest in of who God is and, um, and, and in, in the times of our lives and what's going on. So Jonah, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you just a little bit of uh, a snapshot of Jonah. We don't have time to read the whole thing. I would encourage you to do it. It's only four chapters long. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of the the narrative and I'll kind of do some of the verses and talk a little bit about what's going on as far as just giving us context to the story of Jonah. And so there's really four different sections, four different parts in the story of Jonah. Um, the first section we see where God comes to Jonah and, and asked him to go to a city called Nineveh, where he was supposed to proclaim God to those city in hopes of them repenting. And so we see in the section, though, that Jonah is on the run. Now look at verse chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God comes to Jonah and says, I got a job for you. What I want you to do is I want you to be my messenger. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and declare me in hopes of those people repenting and turning to me. And Jonah doesn't like this plan. So what he does is say, well, I don't really care for the city. I don't really want to do that. So if Nineveh's this direction, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to head in this direction and go contrary to where God is asking me to go. Well, um, he boards a ship begins to head towards the city of um, towards the city there God sends a storm okay and the storm is going on and in fact Jonah is sleeping in the bottom of the ship chapter one tells us so he's sleeping in the bottom of the ship and um, the sailors are it, it, to, to the end of trying to figure out what's going on so they're like we're gonna we're gonna sink and we're gonna die like, this is going to be a terrible thing. So what they do is they cast lots to try to figure out whose fault it was 
that this storm was going and the lot fell on Jonah. So they pulled Jonah and they're like, okay, bro, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on? And they, they learn that he is actually running from God. And they're like, our lives are in danger, so what should we do? And Jonah says, well, throw me overboard, and then the sea will become calm and you'll live. And so they're like, well, that's kind of like killing somebody. We don't really want to do that. And so let's just row harder. So they row harder, and finally they say, okay, we're going to die, so Lord, don't hold this against us. They bind up Jonah, toss him overboard. The seas calm, and they begin to worship God. So this is the first section we have in Jonah in chapter 1. We see God coming to Jonah, saying, I want you to go to the city, and then Jonah fleeing and running in the other direction. The second section we have in Jonah is an entire prayer. So chapter 2 is a prayer from Jonah as he has been swallowed by a fish. In the belly of this fish, we see this prayer he offers up to God in the fish. And this we see this at the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 17, all the way through um, chapter 2, verse 10. Look at verse 7, though. We'll, we'll pick it up there. Here's what Jonah says. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God, from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry ground. Um, which is just a terrible picture to think about, like fish vomit, you know, like on the dry ground. So G Jonah prays, God hears his prayers, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, and he responds to Jonah, and Jonah is now spit onto the dry ground where we pick it up in chapter 3. The third section that we have of Jonah is we see that Jonah is preaching now to the city of Nineveh. Okay, so now he finally relents. He follows God's command, goes to the city of Nineveh, and uh, look at verse uh, 3 of chapter 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began um, by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. And so Jonah's going in, proclaiming, saying, 40 days, this whole thing is gone. Like destruction is coming upon this place. And the Ninevites, actually turned their hearts to God and believed. It's in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth in repentance to God. In fact, here's what the text will continue to show us. That it wasn't just the people that began to repent, but it actually went all the way to the king of Nineveh, the, the leader of the people, where his heart was turned back to God. And so we see Jonah coming back and saying, okay, God, I'm going to do this, goes into the city of Nineveh, proclaims God, and people's hearts turn to God in repentance. They realize that they're a wicked, evil group of people, and they begin to ask God to save them and not destroy them as a city. Amazing, amazing section. Then in the fourth section, the fourth chapter, fourth section in Jonah, we see Jonah's response to God saving 
the people. Here, check it out. We're going to actually read the whole chapter. It's only um, a few verses, 11 verses long. Here's what it says in verse 1, certain verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Like he's, Jonah is now thinking, these people don't deserve this. Like they deserve to die, and this is not good that they're repenting and God is, is, is relinquishing his, um, his wrath upon them. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried um, fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah's in a little bit of a, um, a pity party going on here. And so he's like, isn't this what I said? Like, I, I, you were going to do this, and these people don't deserve it. So my response is going to be, why don't you just kill me? Because this, is, this life is pretty terrible. Look at verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down, verse 5, east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided um, a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade to his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and a sun that blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I am angry and I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many animals also? And so God is responding to Jonah saying, like, I, I care for these people. Like in the same way that I raised up this plant and can kill this plant and you have no concern for it, how much more should I have concern over 120,000 people who need me, who need to know about me, who need to respond to me? And Jonah's response to this is having a pity party. And in this section, we see more than anything the response and the hope that God gives in us through who he is. Now, let me give you a little bit of context about Nineveh, okay? Um, here's, here's a couple things I was just doing some reading about Nineveh. And so Nineveh is actually um, in modern-day Iraq, okay? So if you, if you look at Iraq, and um, there's two kind of major rivers that run through Iraq. There's um, the Euphrates River and then the Tigris River that's on the north. Nineveh um, is in the northeastern kind of corner of Iraq on the eastern seaboard of that Tigris River. Now, Nineveh was actually the capital of Assyria, and for 50 years, historians tell us that for 50 years, in fact, Nineveh was the largest city in the world, okay? So this is not a small community. This is a major city in the context of biblical times. It's an important city. In fact, even after Assyria 
Empire was kind of, you know, at the top of its game, it fell. Nineveh was still a very important city for even the following nations that ruled beyond that. We see Genesis 10. In fact, all the way in Genesis 10, we see the city of Nineveh being mentioned for the first time. Nineveh was the flourishing capital of the Syrian Empire. We see this in 2 Kings 19, where it's the home, home of King Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And then during the biblical reign, at the same time of King Hezekiah, which is where we see the prophet Isaiah happening. So this is kind of the context of the city of Nineveh. And so in this story, though, one of the things that we continually see is the hope of God. And so here's what I want to do this morning, is I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about three things that we see from the story, hope that Jonah discovered through God. And then what I want to do is on the tail end of our talk this morning, I want to say, okay, so how does this apply to us? What practical things does this apply to you and to me as far as this story and the hope that we can place in God? So there's three things this morning I want to talk about. The first one is that we see in the story of Jonah that there is a hope in God who gives second chances. There's a hope in this God who gives second chances chances. We see this prophet who is on the run and cries out to God and God restores him and brings him back to the original calling of his life, which I love is really consistent with scripture. Like you look at one of the things I love about the Bible, the Bible would be a bummer if it was about perfect people making good decisions all the time. But it's not. I mean, you can go all the way back, you know, from Adam and Eve to Noah, you know, who made some crazy decisions and Abraham. And you can look through all these people, David, you know, who had an affair and all these people who made bad decisions. And the reality is in that is we serve a God who gives second chances. In fact, there's a passage in Matthew chapter 18 where Peter comes up um, in this kind of dialogue with Jesus and says, so, um, so Jesus... How many times should I forgive somebody? I know, like seven times. Like if somebody wrongs me seven times, should I forgive them seven times? Wouldn't that be really good of me to forgive somebody seven times? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, no, not, not just even seven times. In fact, I'm telling you, you should forgive somebody 77 times. And so even what Jesus is kind of telling Peter is like, well, man, this, this, this God that we serve is about forgiveness. It's about second chances. It's about restoring. And in the same way, in fact, here's, here's an interesting thing that 1 John tells us. 1 John talks about our, our love for people. Um, in fact, it, 1 John tells us that um, our heart should be to love other people. And if we don't love other people, that it shows our lack of understanding of God's love for us. In fact, here's... First John uses some pretty harsh words. He says, if you don't love other people, you're a liar. You're a liar, and the love of God is not in you. And here's what John is saying in this. If you don't forgive other people, if you don't love other people, you don't understand the weight of God's love for you. Like for you to say, well, God, thank you so much for all of the forgiveness and the things that you've done for me. And then to turn around to your brother, your sister, your friend, your neighbor and say, well, and God has forgiven me. And I'm going to turn around and look at you and say that you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't understand the weight of God's love for you. It's understanding this, that, that God is a God of second chances. 
In fact, a love that's really about the cross, right? It's about God's response to sin. It's about sending Jesus into the world that we're going to celebrate this week, moving him towards the cross that is really about our inability to make things right and God's intense pursuit and love for us. And this hope in the Bible that we see is something that amazes. In fact, I was... um, my wife was in a conversation a couple days ago. There's, um, she's on the phone with somebody. I couldn't figure out who it was. And um, so I'm running around the house in between um, doing some stuff. And she's in this conversation. And I'm like, who? You know, yeah, I don't know if you ever do this. I'm like, what are you talking to? What are you talking to? You know, and she's trying to like mouth it to me. And I'm like, I don't understand, you know. And so I kind of wait till she's done. I'm trying to listen to conversation, seeing if I can put any context into it. And I couldn't. So finally she gets done. She sh- shares with me. It's this um, lady, Kathy. And Kathy is one of the leaders at our young adult ministry in Brainerd Lakes area. And so they're having this conversation about this young gal who's Kathy is ministering to, who's an unbeliever, and um, who, who just found out she, she was pregnant. And so we're, we're trying to dialogue about this. And I'm listening to Jen's conversation. One of the things that stuck out to me in this phone conversation was God is after her heart. Like God is after her heart. God is, God is going to use this perhaps to capture her heart and draw her to himself. And I appreciate it. I love this, this understanding that we see in Jonah that we have hope. We can hope at anchoring our soul that we have a God, we serve a God of second chances. The second one, the hope that we see in Jonah is hope in God's plan for his life even in his sin, like even in his rebellion, we see God using Jonah. Um, in fact, here's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 says. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So um, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 is like, you, you, you're not, you can't work for salvation. Like you can do, you can go to church every single day if you want. You can help all the old ladies across the street you want. You can do, you can, you know, never think about it. You can do all this kind of stuff and you're not going to, you're not going to get it. Like this is not of yourself. It's not of your good works. We, you need somebody to intercede for you. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. It's only through Jesus Christ. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so God is the, is the, the orchestrator of grace, but even on the backside of that grace, he calls us to be a part of his work. He calls us to be a part of the things that he is about. I love this because I'm a broken person. Like you can ask my wife sitting right there. You ask my children how much that I mess up or my dad. He'll, I'm sure he'll tell you more than anybody, you know, how I'm not perfect. Like I am not a perfect person. And the reality is, is that even in the midst of that, that God wants to use me. And I can, my hope can rest in the fact that even in my imperfection, that God wants to continue to use me. And that brings hope to my heart that we see in the life of Jonah. The third thing that we see is we see hope in how much God can do with one person. And so we see Jonah 
who goes to the city of Nineveh and God uses him in such a tremendous way. Like through God using him, an entire city repents. An entire group of people turn their heart back to God and say, God, okay, we will acknowledge you as being God and we ask you forgive us of our evilness. And in fact, we're going to put on ashes and sackcloth and sacrifices and we are going to ask you to repent. And we see this in this story of how much God can do with one person. You know, I love um, one of my favorite passages is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says, is that God is the initiator of the love and that he is about reconciling. So back in Genesis chapter 3, there's a broken relationship because of our sin where our relationship was broken between us and between God. And God entered into creation to reconcile that relationship back to him through Jesus Christ. But, and if it stopped there, it would be amazing. But here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. So God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So not only did God reconcile us to God through Jesus Christ, but he has given us the privilege of being ministers of reconciliation. That we are part of the work that God wants us to be a part of. And we see this, that how much God can do through us if we allow him to be a part of his, uh, to be a part of his work. I, I love one of the things I love right now. I have the privilege um, of doing a lot of traveling and I actually like traveling. I get the opportunity um, a lot of times to take one of my kids with me. And so I'll go to Portland or I'll go to Sacramento or Chicago or these different places that we're helping with ministries. Um, and I get a chance to visit lots of different churches. I get a chance to preach on the West coast and the Northwest and different places. And one of the things I love right now is there is this switch that's going on in church. And um, for, for a lot of years, there was this kind of this mentality that, um, ministry was supposed to be done by the people on the stage. And so if you were a pastor or a missionary or a worship leader, maybe if you were a Sunday school teacher or, you know, a mops leader or, you know, some kind of ministry leadership position, then it was your responsibility to do ministry. But one of the things that's happening right now is the church, I feel, there's a stirring going on where they're equipping the church to do the work of the church and, and to be a part of the ministry that God wants us to be a part of. In fact, I was doing some reading this last week about this understanding that we need to begin to see ourselves all as missionaries. 
For a lot of years, it was missions was just about sending people overseas or sending people to different cultures or being a part engaged in different contexts. But what we need to begin to see is you're either a missionary that goes or you're a missionary that stays, but we're all missionaries. Either you're a missionary in China or you're a missionary at your work or your school place. That we're all called to be a part of the work in carrying this message of reconciliation. And in this story of Jonah, we see this hope in how much God wants to and can do through us. So here's um, for us this morning is I want to give us just a couple points of application. And in this application, I want to begin to ask ourselves a question, okay, what does this mean for us? Like, what can I pull out of this story about God's character, who God is, that I can anchor, that I can have an anchor to? You know, what, is, what are some things that I can walk outside those doors in a few minutes and, and hold to as far as serving and loving this God of hope? And so here's some points that we see from Jonah of different points of hope that we can rest in. The first one is that we see that in this text that you can't hide from God. And I don't want to, I need to be careful how I say that because I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, God's going to get you. You know, you can't hide from him anywhere. You, you know, you go, you go, you can't hide. No, this is a God who is consistently pursuing us relentlessly. In fact, the text tells us um, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. And for some of us, that's a lot. And for others of us, that's not a whole lot, right? You know, like he, <laughs> he, he knows the numbers of hair. He knows the days that were marked out for us. Like we see in this, that you can't hide from God because he knows where we're at. He knows what's in our heart and he is consistently pursuing us. The second thing that we see from Jonah here is that we see a God who listens and answers our prayers. We see a God that listens and answers our prayers. And so we see in this life of Jonah, in Jonah where he's in this belly of a fish and he's crying out to God and God listens and he chooses to respond to Jonah. Now, God doesn't always choose to respond the way that I want him to respond. But the reality is, is God is listening to our prayers. And he's responding to us. And part of our hope in the midst of the turmoil of life that we're in is that we can have an anchor of hope that God is hearing our prayers and responding to us. The third one is that God is turning hearts. We see this with the city of Nineveh, that God is turning hearts. And this is, you know, this is the story of reconciliation that runs all the way through the Bible. That God is calling hearts back to himself. He's after cities like Nineveh. He's after cities like Grand Rapids. And he's after you individually. He's calling hearts back to himself. And the last one, is that we serve a God who's full of grace. We serve a God who's full of grace. Even for myself, as I you know, went through this passage this last few days, it's really, a, it's really something that I can anchor my heart in. The hope that we can see of who God is, trusting in who God is, and the belief of what God is going to do because that he is faithful. He's consistent with who he is in his character. And so even for us this morning, 
we can have hope in God. We can have that hope that rests as an anchor in our soul of who God is and what he is doing in our lives. So God, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, just your love for us and um, just ask that you continue to draw us to you. And for God, I want to pray for the the things in our life and the turmoil that goes on, God, that we would have um, just really the the courage to, to anchor down into your hope of who you are. I thank you for the story of Jonah and how much it shows us about who you are, the character of who you are, the consistency of who you are, your heart for people and for an individual. We love you so much. Thank you for this morning. In your son's name, amen.